All right. We're going to do some teaching this morning. And uh, how many of you have a Bible? Let's see your Bible. Lift your Bible up, would you? All right. Good to hear the sound of those pages turning. And uh, we are a Bible-believing church, and uh, so we bring our Bibles here, and uh, you get to look at what's being said right out of the Bible. So you know whether or not whoever's behind this pulpit is telling you the truth. And uh, when people don't bring their Bibles uh, as a whole, and someone stands up here and says, well, I'm, I'm telling you something from the Bible, uh, he may be telling you the truth, he may not. I'm not saying anybody's intentionally lying, but uh, how many of you understand that even in the Bible and in early church history, there was a lot of error in the name of the Bible? Okay, because we as Christians won't accept error unless we think it came from the Bible. In fact, uh, black preacher was preaching one time to his congregation, and one of the ladies in the congregation objected to some of the things he taught. In fact, she should because he was teaching baptismal regeneration. And uh, so she confronted him after the service, and he said, well, I, I got that out of the Bible. And she said, you sure did, because it ain't in the Bible. <laughs> so let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now, we're going to do some teaching we're going to be looking at some things that would be considered, according to Paul in the book of Hebrews, strong meat, strong meat. Now, uh, you know, the, the uh, unwritten, unwritten book for preaching is that you don't do that on Sunday morning. Your Sunday morning crowd, you know, they, they really don't, they don't want strong meat. But um, I, I believe the Sunday morning crowd can handle this. And what we're going to look at this morning is, is important for our understanding of the Bible as we read it ourselves. And so I'm, I'm looking at uh, double application here, uh, what you can get right now, but then as you read the Word of God yourself, uh, what you can, you can gain uh, a greater understanding by understanding the principles that we're going to look at uh, today and probably next Sunday as well. But 2 Timothy chapter 3 and let's look at verse 16, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration. That means it's God-breathed. It's God's book. It's given by inspiration and is profitable for doctrine. That's the first thing it's profitable for. For reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfectly perfect. And the idea of being perfect there is, is a sense of completeness. It doesn't mean that uh, if you read your Bible enough, you're going to become sinlessly perfect like God, but uh, it does mean that you'll be a complete Christian. That the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. And I want you to notice that the first thing that the Bible is profitable to us for is that word doctrine. And so we're going to look at doctrine first here. Uh, we're going to look at the importance of doctrine. And doctrine, of course, is, is the, the teaching of the Word of God concerning theology 
the teaching of the Word of God concerning the things that are true of God. And when we think of theology, that's a really broad term. We think of the nature of God. We think of God's dealings with man. Uh, we think of covenants in the Word of God. We think of the two testaments in the Word of God. And we also are going to look at dispensations as well. But doctrine is the first thing that the Bible is profitable for. And therefore, doctrine is what should be emphasized. Uh, I don't know if you realize this, but in this day and age, this is also a lost thing. The number one characteristic of God is holiness. As you study the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you find out that the, the one characteristic of God, the moral characteristic of God, that all of his natural and moral characteristics give way to is holiness. Now, you wouldn't know that by listening to preaching and teaching these days. You would think it is what? Love. Now, certainly love is important, but, but everything gives way to his holiness. For instance, if it wasn't for holiness, then God could just love everybody into heaven without a sacrifice. Amen? Jesus didn't need to come and die for our sins. God could just snap his fingers and become Santa Claus at the judgment and just let everybody in. But because of his holiness, there was a need for a blood atonement. So we find the same thing as far as the Word of God is concerned. We look at this book, and some people approach it, some Christians approach it, and say, well, okay, what is this book here for? Is this just to give me something to do? Is it so we have something religious to say when we join together in church? What is the principal purpose? Well, the principal purpose is doctrine to teach us theology, to help us to understand what to expect from God and what not to expect from God. For instance, how many of you understand that there is more than one Jesus about? Okay? And, uh, you know, the Bible talks to us about uh, the Jesus of the Bible, and, and, and Paul said there are some that will preach another Jesus, and so that means that even our understanding of our Savior has got to be directed by the Word of God. If it's not directed by the Word of God, then we're going to end up with another Jesus. And again, you say, well, how can that happen? Well, we can take the name Jesus, extract it from the Bible, and attribute things to him that are not so. And therefore, you end up with another Jesus. So our understanding of our Savior, our understanding of God, our understanding of salvation, our understanding of what we can expect from God and what God expects from us. All these things and so many more things fall within the realm of doctrine. So we're going to look at some doctrine today. Take your Bibles and just flip back a page and go to 2 Timothy 2. 2 Timothy 2. And I'd like for you to look at verse 15. Verse 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Now notice that this is directed to a young pastor. So, so principally, someone who is in leadership, someone who is a pastor, someone who is a teacher and preacher of a congregation, evangelist, missionary, uh, they need to heed these things immediately and first and foremost and take them very seriously. Now, I think we all should, but I want you to understand who this is directed to. So he says, he says here, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. 
uh, pastors characteristically can get the reputation of being a little bit, I'll go ahead and use the word, lazy. Well, it looks like a soft job. Just get up there, tell a few jokes on Sunday, have everybody laugh to collect the paycheck and wait till next week. Well, I suppose you could try to do it that way, but I don't think God's hand of blessing is going to be on that. It's, he, notice the word that he uses, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. And, and study is work. Study is work. Now, if you're geared like some people, you just plain naturally enjoy that type of thing. I've got a, a preacher friend that went home to be with the Lord that uh, for recreation, he would just sit there and read. Now, I like to read, but that's not my form of recreation. My form of recreation is getting myself to do something physically, blowing off that steam. Uh, but, but study is work. And if someone in the ministry and in, and in charge of feeding people at any level, whether it be Sunday school or master club or, or pastoring, as we said, uh, if he's not studying, then he finds himself ashamed. He finds himself ashamed before God and may find himself ashamed before a congregation. I remember when I was in Bible school down south back in the mid-70s, uh, I, I learned a sort of a tradition there among certain uh, brands of Christianity, so to speak, and, and their philosophy was the preacher just gets up and he ain't got no education. In fact, if he went to Bible school, you know, that, that's a no-no. And he doesn't study because he's just waiting for God to fill his mouth. And so you just kind of get up there and you just sort of wing it. Well, you know what? I think a lot of times those guys end up ashamed. They end up ashamed. In fact, uh, there's a sort of cadence that some of them use when they're preaching. They'll say, well, I want to say uh, that the Bible says uh, uh, that we should. Uh, and, and someone said, well, what is that? You know, what are all those pauses and those end uh and I figured out after a while what that's about. He's trying to think of the next thing to say. Okay, because, you know, he really hasn't studied. He doesn't have any notes. And by the way, that's another no-no. You, you know, you don't preach with notes, therefore you're not, you're not really preaching. Well, that's foreign to the Scripture. Paul tells Timothy here, study to show yourself approved unto God. That's foremost. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. But I want you to look at that last phrase there in verse 15. Rightly dividing rightly dividing the word of truth rightly dividing the word of truth what does that mean rightly dividing the word of truth uh do you take do you take the word uh uh apostle and and break it into uh, syllables is that what he's talking about rightly dividing the word of truth well obviously no that's not the case uh, what it comes down to, folks, is we need to understand that God teaches us in two principal ways. Now, he teaches us in other ways as well, but two principal ways. And it's very simple. First, by similitudes. You say, what's a similitude? Things that are alike. Uh, if we understand something very simple, God can help us understand something a little more complicated in the spirit world by comparing it to something that it's like in the in the natural realm. Uh, let, let, me, let me give you one of these here. 
uh, many of Christ's parables were similitudes. Now, the other way he teaches us is through contrasts, contrasts. And uh, someone once said, D.L. Moody one time said, if you want to show that a stick is crooked, lay a straight one next to it. And you look at the two and you go, wow, that looks crooked. Whereas previously it might not have looked that crooked, but next to a straight stick, it does. So that would be by, by contrast. So let's look at a couple of these real quickly here. Uh, Christ's uh, uh, parables sometimes were by similitude. Go to Matthew chapter 12. Now, like I said, we're going to do some Bible study. So I'm going to ask you to turn through your Bibles. Um, Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. And take a look at verse 38. The Lord Jesus Christ. Here, the Bible says, certain scribes and Pharisees answered saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. Now, you know, on the surface, it, that seems all innocent. We, we, we'd like to see a sign. But in light of all the signs they had already seen that they wouldn't believe, that was wickedness. That was a demand that went beyond. And, and we know this for a fact by the way Jesus responded to the request. But he answered, verse 39, and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. And there shall no sign be given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. Now, what was he saying? Look, you've gotten sign after sign after sign already. And so for some of you, because he's going to give them more signs, but for some of you, here's the only last sign that's going to amount to anything for you. And he knew they'd reject it. He said here, he said, there shall be no sign be given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. Verse 40, for as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So what's he talking about here? Well, he's talking about his, his resurrection. And verse 41, the men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment in this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonas, and behold, a greater than Jonas is here. So uh, notice he uses in verse 40, for as Jonas, for as Jonas, Jonah, for as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly. So in other words, he's saying, he's saying I'm, I'm going to be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He's implying the resurrection because Jonas got out of the, the whale's belly, didn't he? Amen. So he's, he's, he's teaching him something by saying, as Jonas, verse 40, for as Jonas was three days. And a lot of Christ's parables are like that. They're a matter of similitude. Uh, let's look at another example. Flip back a few pages of Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We're talking about rightly dividing the word. And sometimes God uh, teaches by similitudes. Christ often taught by similitudes. Uh, chapter 5, and take a look at verse 13. Now, this isn't a parable, but this is a similitude. Look at verse 13. Ye are... Ye are, you are, okay? He's trying to help them understand who they are in him uh, because they're different than most people look at themselves out in the world. So he says here in, in uh, verse 13, he says, ye are the salt of the earth. Ye are the salt of the earth. Uh, salt in the first century, salt in the day of Christ uh, carried a different connotation than we would think of salt. Most of the time when we think of salt, 
It might be something that goes in the softener for the water. It might be something that's used to melt the ice during the winter so someone doesn't slip. It's obviously something that is on the table that can be used uh, on the food. It's, it's, it's used to cook the food. It's used to preserve meat. But salt was literally a currency. You've heard the expression, someone who's worth his salt, worth his salt. That comes from this era. There were literally coins that were, were formed out of salt. Uh, the Roman highway was called the highway of salt because it, 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 it facilitated the salt trade. Uh, salt in these days was almost as gold. Now, obviously, it doesn't have the same connotation to us. It's not currency. Uh, soldiers were paid in salt. They were paid in salt. <clears throat> I doubt any of you this Friday, come payday, are going to get salt as your pay. Now, you know, maybe for some reason you negotiated for that and that's what you wanted, but I, I doubt it. I highly doubt it. But notice what he says. He says, ye are, he says, ye are the salt of the earth. So he's, 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 he's making all kinds of analogies that we're not going to stay here and go through because we could go through them. Salt preserves and uh, salt can irritate and salt cleanses and you know, we could go on and on with that, but just for the purpose of our understanding, we're watching him use a similitude here. He's helping us understand who we are in him by referring to something that they were very familiar with. You're the salt of the earth. But notice what he says. <clears throat> but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. So they were to be salty and not to lose that. All right, take a look at the very next verse. Look at the next verse. Look at verse 14, another similitude. Ye are the light of the world. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. So uh, he's talking in the macro here now. He's talking about light in the case uh, of a city. Uh, many of you have been on an airplane that landed or took off at night, and you get up in the air and you see all those lights. A, a city can literally glisten uh, with all of those lights. Uh, of course, you know, we're dealing with a different kind of light in the first century here, but uh, same idea. He says, uh, a city that is sit on a hill cannot be hid, verse 15. Neither do men light a candle. So now we're looking at the micro. We went from the macro to the micro. We're bringing it down to the individual, to a home. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. So the common sense, everyday thing, and understanding of something here, this, this candle in the house Obviously, somebody doesn't light it and then throw a bushel over the top of it. Uh, it would defeat the purpose of having that light. So again, he's helping them understand who they are to this world. You are the light of the world. And then he talks about a city. And then verse 15, he talks about a candle. And then he says in verse 16, here's the conclusion. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now, again, we could park right there and spend the rest of the morning there in verse 16. There's so much there. But we're to let our, our light shine before men because he's telling us who we are. You're salt. Uh, the value of that is extreme. It's important. 
It, it drives commerce in this day. It's, it's like currency. And then he says, you're light so people can see. So don't, don't cover that light. Let it shine and, and that they can see your good works. <clears throat> and not so people can say, hey, what a great guy you are. What a great guy you are. Uh, but so they can glorify God. So, so what's he telling us, among other things? And again, I, I, I don't want to digress too far here and get uh, caught up in the weeds here. But uh, the bottom line here is uh, we're not doing works uh, to make ourselves look good. We're doing works to make our Father look good. And therefore, we need to do these works in the name of Christ. Let people know who you are. If somebody says, man, I, I, there's something different about you, well, well tell them why. Amen? Tell a man, if it wasn't for Jesus Christ, uh, I'd, I'd be a real stinker. And, 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 and any good you see here, it, it's him. You see, that's, that's his light shining, and you're giving him glory and honor. Now, again, these are similitudes. We're told to rightly divide the word of truth, but sometimes, as we already said, uh, teaching in the word of God will come by, by way of contrast. For instance, you study the Bible, and you, you contrast the Jews versus the Gentiles. You study your Bible carefully. You, you don't even have to study it carefully. You, you just read it. Read it one time from Genesis to Revelation, and you find out that, that God has uh, something to say about the Jews uh, that's unique to them and, and the Gentiles that's unique to them. Uh, how about this one, the church in the kingdom? The church in the kingdom. Uh, maybe you don't understand, maybe you do, but we're living in the church age. And we're part of the body of Christ, or also called the church. Uh, the kingdom is something different. The kingdom is an earthly, physical, visible, literal kingdom on this earth. And uh, by the way, we're still waiting for it. Jesus taught his disciples to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? On earth. Well, if you got your eyes open right now, you realize his will is not being done on earth. Okay, all manner of chaos, uh, pick the genre, whether it's politics, religion, morals, educate, whatever, any, anywhere in the world. It hasn't happened yet, but thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, it, it's, it's something we're looking forward to, but it isn't here yet. It isn't here yet. So you have the, the comparison of the contrast between the church and the kingdom. Uh, the two advents, the, the first coming of Christ, and Christmas is celebrated around there, the babe, but then the second advent of Christ in the book of Revelation, chapter 19, and uh, he, comes, he comes to judge and make war and defeat the armies of the Antichrist. Uh, two, two very different things, but the same Savior. Uh, how about this one, the resurrections in Scripture? Do you realize that there are, there are more than one resurrection in Scripture? And, and the Bible tells us to look at these, and there's contrast. Uh, the judgments in Scripture... Uh, there's more than one judgment in Scripture. There are numerous judgments in Scripture at different periods of time. When, when God consummates uh, a, a dispensation, a moral probationary period, he brings man to judgment. Uh, how about this one? The two Adams. The two Adams. Paul talks about uh, Jesus Christ being the second Adam. We know about the first Adam who fell, but then we look at the second Advent, Adam, and, and, and there are contrasts there. How about this one? Atonement and redemption. As a matter of fact, I got a series of, of uh, studies that we've done before in the past called the shun words. 
Redemption, justification, propitiation, glorification, words like that. And, and, and by the way, most of those words go right back directly to our salvation. The Bible talks about the manifold grace of God. There's so many aspects of it. And the more you know about these things, the more, you, you, the more excited you are to be saved. I mean, it's not, you know, salvation isn't just God, hey, God gave me a ticket out of hell. Make sure you keep it in your pocket so that when you die, you can, you know, you can present it to the guy picking up the tickets. You know, of course, for some reason, they always make that Peter. Right? You always got to give Peter your ticket or talk Peter into coming into heaven. I don't know why that is, but somehow or another, it's, it's become the tradition. But that's not, salvation is way more than just a ticket to heaven. I mean, it, it, there's so much to it, but it, there's the contrast of these different words. How about this one? Law and grace. Law and grace. How many of us here this morning were without Christ for the longest time because we were stuck in the law and we didn't understand grace? Amen. The Bible says the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Contrast there. Contrast. Again, and we, and we learn through this. Uh, how about this one? The two natures of the believer. The old man and the new man. The old man and the new man. You know how we could just always all get along? Just make sure the new man is in operation. If my new man's talking to your new man, we're going to do just fine. But if somebody's old man gets in the way, then we're going to have problems. Where it's really bad is where you got both the old man talking to the other old man. And boy, they're selfish, and it's all about me. And man, I'll tell you, you know, Christians can, uh, Christians can act as, as bad or worse than the, than the lost world when that starts happening. I mean, business meetings that have gotten out of hand where churches have split, and I've heard stories of hymnals being thrown at one another. <laughs> a little, little boy went to Southern Baptist Church many years ago, and uh, they had Christian endeavor meetings, and, uh, and, and they were business meetings, and sometimes, you know, things would uh, sort of break out, be almost like a hockey game. And the little boy said to his parents in the back seat of the car, he goes, are we going to go to a Christian and devil meeting tonight? <laughs> now, he probably just got it confused, but he may have hit, hit on something. And you say, what is that? That's just believers operating in the power of the flesh as opposed to the power of the spirit. And so you have a, a contrast there. How about this? A standing in state, our standing in Christ versus our state. Our standing in Christ, our, we're accepted in the beloved. Uh, but do we always walk that way? Amen. Do we always walk that way? And uh, when, when God sees us in Christ, he sees us as Christ. But do we always walk that way? And so you see the, uh, the, the standing in the state. That's a whole study in and of itself. How about this one? Uh, election and free will. How do you recon reconcile those two things? And the Bible has a lot to say about, about both subjects and some contrasts here. Uh, how about this one? This seems very simple, but you'd be surprised how many people stumble over this one. Heaven and hell. Heaven and hell. Uh, one brother here this week, we were talking, and uh, he was at his sister's funeral back east. And, and the guy that calls himself a minister, I don't, I'm not sure why he would even call himself that after he said this. He got up and he said, he said I honestly don't know what happens after we die. I just don't know. 
I, I think if I felt that way, I think I would just get down and let somebody else do whatever. Boy, I'd feel like I'm at a loss here at this point. What am I up here for? What are we talking about? But believe it or not, there's a lot of guys that call themselves ministers and women that call themselves ministers and confused people that call themselves ministers in these churches that call themselves churches and call themselves Christians, and that's what they believe. You say, what do they believe? They believe nothing. They believe nothing. Uh, they're, they're, a, they're a secular front for something else or a religious front for something secular, I should say. Uh, how about this one? And, 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 you know, we could just go on and on, but I'll just leave you with one more. Uh, there's seven mysteries in Scripture. The Bible says a, a, a preacher is a steward of these mysteries, things that were previously unrevealed that God and progressive revelation revealed to man. Uh, the rapture of the church is a mystery. Paul said, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all, all be changed. Someone said that's a nursery verse. That's supposed to be funny. We shall not all sleep. We shall all be changed. Okay. All right. We'll keep moving right along. But the rapture is a mystery. It was, it was revealed to the apostle Paul for the body of Christ. And, and uh, how about this one? The body of Christ itself, Jew and Gentile in one body. We talked about the contrast of Jew and Gentile, how, how two different distinct groups as far as God's concerned, but the mystery is that he puts them together in the body of Christ. That's called a mystery. Here's another one. <clears throat> the Bible <coughs> excuse me, talks about uh, the mystery of iniquity. The mystery of iniquity. And, and you know, um, uh, uh, one sister here the other day, she, she brought up a good point. And we were talking about some of the things that are going on around us right now and some of the craziness. And, and, and she said, you know, years and years ago when you'd study about prophecy and all the things happening at the end time, it really seemed pretty interesting because it was out there. You know, and, and I don't know, I, I have, I'd have to agree with her. I kind of think I was, I was that way too, you know, uh, back in the 70s. Maybe that's why people don't like to study prophecy as much anymore. It, it started to come to pass, and some of these things concerning the Antichrist and, and the world going down its slippery slope and, <clears throat> and apostasy among God's people, it's getting a little too real. Getting a little too real. Pandemics pandemics. Wow. But uh, contrasts, contrasts. How about this one? We talked not too long ago, we studied testaments. Testament is a will. The Old Testament versus the new. Understanding, we're in the new, not the old. You say, well, that's so bonehead simple. Yeah, then why do we have whole denominations within Christendom that their whole objective is to get you back in the Old Testament? Bring you, bring you under the Old Testament law, keeping the Sabbath. That's Old Testament. Uh, that's Jew versus Gentile. That's, uh, God gave that to the Jews in an Old Testament setting. Um, how about this one? Covenants. We looked at covenants. We especially focused on those. Covenant is a, an agreement between two parties or, or more, but generally between two parties. And covenants can have unconditional terms, or they can have conditional terms, or they can have both. And you have covenants in the Scripture. And then uh, dispensations, dispensations, moral probationary periods. God is testing man 
under, under certain circumstances. And I'll give you the most obvious. Adam and Eve are innocent. They're sinless. They're in the garden. And, and they're told, you can freely eat of all these trees around here. I don't know how many there were. There was probably thousands, maybe millions of them. Who knows? But I'm certain there were at least thousands. And just this one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't eat from it. And where did Eve end up hanging around? And, 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 and they failed the test. And they ended that dispensation of innocence with failure. And we have numerous dispensations since then. And we're in the middle of the church age. That's a dispensation. And there are dispensations yet to come. And, and so we looked at these and we found out that testaments and covenants and dispensations can run parallel. They can run concurrent. They can intersect. They can overlap. Um, and we've studied them with similitudes. We've studied them with contrasts. And don't worry if, if all of this isn't registering with you right now. Uh, just understand that we are to rightly divide the word. And by the way, I think it takes a lifetime of study. You know, people talk about he's a, a Bible scholar. The implication is that he's mastered the subject. I'm sorry. I don't think anybody masters the Bible. I don't think anybody masters the Bible. In fact, the greatest Bible teachers I've ever known call themselves and consider themselves students of the Word of God. The Word continually teaches them. They continually learn because it's an eternal book written by an eternal God. And it's an endless supply of understanding and teaching and comfort and admonition and exhortation. And we could go on and on and on. But let's take a look at this this word dispensation throughout the New Testament. Take your Bibles and go to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, some people, even independent Baptists, break out in a rash when they hear the, bio, the word dispensation. And I don't understand why, because it, it's in the New Testament four times. I asked one of these guys one time, I said, uh, so you don't believe in dispensations? He said, no. I said, well, the word's found four times in the New Testament. I said, do you believe in the rapture? He said, yeah. I said, the word's not found in the New Testament. I said, do you believe in the Trinity? He goes, absolutely. I'm a Trinitarian. And I am too, by the way. And I said, well, you won't find the word Trinity anywhere in the Bible. So, I mean, you know, I, I just don't understand it. But let's take a look at it real quick here. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Look, look at verse 10. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. Now that's, I'll tell you, that of all the dispensations, that is the last one. That's the last one. That's when God wraps everything up. And here's how he describes it. It's called the dispensation of the fullness of times. He gathers together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth, even in him. You understand that? I don't. <laughs> I don't. I, there's so much of this I don't understand. I do know this, that as Christians, when we get to heaven, it's going to be good. But I'll be honest with you. Beyond that, I can't tell you a lot more. Because I look at stuff like that here. Okay, you want, you want me to uh, uh, make you more confused than a termite and a yo-yo? Figure this one out. Collectively, as a body of Christ, we are called a what? A bride. A bride. A bride. Is that male or female? That's female. 
I'm going to be part of a bride. I don't understand it, but I know it's going to be good. But when you study the resurrection body of the believer, it's always spoken of in what gender? Male. How do you like that, ladies? <laughs> but collectively, we're a bride. Amen? And, and we're bone of his bone, and we're flesh of his flesh, and he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. And by the way, we will have identity in heaven. We've studied that in the past. We will have identity. But we'll be together in one body. And we'll be bone of his bone, and we'll be uh, flesh of his flesh. And then the Bible says he'll gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. And we'll be joint heirs with Christ. And, and, and you see, it, it's out there. And we'll understand it when we get there. But I really think, I think our understanding is limited at this point. In fact, I think that's part of why God says, I hath not seen, ear hasn't heard, neither has entered in the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Heaven, he gives you some descriptions. You got, you know, you got streets of gold and gates of pearl and all that other good stuff. But, uh, you know, I don't know about you, but it's not enough for me. I've argued with God more than once. You should have about five books of the Bible, at least 10 chapters long, dedicated to describing more about heaven than we already know. But you know what I think God knows that I don't know? By the way, he knows a lot that I don't know. And you too. <laughs> we couldn't handle it. So, so God just says, look, you, with your natural senses... Even the similitudes and contrasts break down. He's just basically saying, trust me, you're going to like it. So, so there's a reference to dispensation, dispensation of the fullness of time. Uh, flip a couple pages forward and look at Ephesians 3. Ephesians 3. We doing all right? Doing all right? I realize you know, it can get a little bit heavy here, but um, you, know what I, you know what I'd like? I'd like for you to be able to read your Bible and when you come across verses you don't understand, you, you know how to handle them. You know what the process is. You know what the sequence is to dealing with them. Do you ever notice on a computer so much is about sequence? Knowing which thing to hit or prompt next. Because you might hit something that's part of the sequence, but if you hit it too soon or too late, everything can get thrown out of whack and then things just freeze up on you or you end up somewhere you don't want to be. And, and, and the Bible can be that way at times. So you get an understanding of these things. Look at chapter 3 and look at verse 1. Paul says, For this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation, now watch the description here, of the grace of God which is given me to you word. So, you know, prior, prior to Paul showing up on the scene, prior to the Jews rejecting their Messiah, their King, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, there were the, God's people, the Jews, and God's dealings with them, and everybody else, the Gentiles. 
But now, now look what, look, look what the Bible is saying here. Paul is saying that he is, he is a prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given to me, to you word. You know what? This current dispensation when it comes to salvation is characterized by grace. It is characterized by grace. The worst sinner, and Paul said, I'm the chiefest of sinners. I'm the pattern. Paul hated Christians to the point where he approved of their torture. He approved of their murder. And he was zealous in promoting those things. And he becomes a trophy of God's grace. And he ends up preaching Christ. Now, now is that grace or what? And and so, folks, and you look at here in verse 3, how that by uh, uh, revelation... He made known unto me there the mystery. There's that word again. As I wrote a four and a few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, verse 5, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men. And by the way, that's what a mystery is, something previously unrevealed, and now it's revealed. He says it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body, and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. We were outside. We were referred to as dogs, Gentile dogs. But now we're, we're, we're part and parcel. We're part and parcel with the Jew in this body, in Christ. Look at Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. I, I know this isn't swing from the rafters stuff. Uh, I, I, I get it, and, and I get it that it doesn't tickle your funny bone, and I, and I get it that it's not very entertaining, and I get it that uh, we're making you think on a Sunday morning. Ah, oh, I've been thinking all week. I've been working all week, and I got my brain to relax a little bit on Saturday, and now you're making it work again. But it's going to help you as you read your Bible. It's going to help you. It's going to keep you from falling into error in the name of Christianity. Do you want to know what a lot of error within Christianity is? It's, it's just someone stealing someone else's mail. That's all it is. You just need to understand whose mail you're reading. And when you're reading your own mail and when you're reading someone else's mail. It's really that simple in, in, in a lot of ways. Look at Colossians chapter 1. And look at verse 25. Look at verse 25. Here's the third reference uh, found in Scripture. He says, Whereof I am made a minister according to, there's that word again, the dispensation of God which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. God. God gave Paul some things that were mysteries to fulfill the word of God, to complete it. Uh, important information. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, Verse 27, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul says, whom we preach, verse 28, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. There's that word again, and the idea is the complete Christian. The complete Christian. So our understanding of this causes us to be complete. And then one more, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 
And 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 16, he says, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe, or yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Why does he say all that? Verse 17, for if I do this thing willingly, I have reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. Paul sometimes referred to the gospel as my gospel. My God. The word gospel just means good news. It means good news. But do you realize, and we'll get to this, and we probably won't do it today, but we'll get to this. The, the apostles, when Christ first sent them out in Matthew chapter 10, they weren't, they weren't preaching the death, burial, and resurrection. How many of you understand that? They, they, were, they were preaching, hey, the king is here. Get over to John the Baptist and, and get the baptism of repentance and get yourself right, Jews, so the king can get on his throne and we can have a kingdom. When Israel is the chiefest of nations, that was a gospel. It was good news. That's not what you and I are preaching. You know what we're preaching? We're preaching the gospel that Paul preached, the gospel of the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the gospel of salvation from sin and, and being born again into the kingdom of God, a, a spiritual kingdom. That's not meat and drink, Paul said, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. That even though we live in a world filled with turmoil and there's, there's no great kingdom here yet, we can walk through this world with a kingdom in our hearts. Being part of a spiritual kingdom. Brethren in Jesus Christ with Jesus Christ as our big brother as a captain of our salvation. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. He said, what is my reward then? Verily that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge. And that I abuse not my power in the gospel. It's an important key to understanding the Bible. And by the way, everybody that professes Christ, that professes any involvement with the Bible, is a dispensationalist whether they believe it or not. I've had people deny that they're dispensationalists, and I'll say, okay, all right, well, let's, let's try something here. I said... Uh, you know what? I think we need to really be careful today that we don't go anywhere near that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And a guy, well, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Well, of course it's ridiculous because we're not there. So I'd say, would you agree we're not in the garden? We're not in a period of innocence? Yeah, I would agree. Okay, then we have two dispensations, that one and whatever we're doing now. And then I'll say, hey, did you bring your animal sacrifice today to the high priest? I'm bringing my dog. I'm sick and tired of him. I'm getting rid of him. <laughs> Something silly like that. 
And well, of course we don't do that because Jesus died on the cross and that's all over with. Okay, fine. So we got three dispensations, the garden and the period of the law and whatever we're doing now. And by the way, what are we doing now? Well, you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you become part of the church. Okay, so there's a third one. And are there any more coming? Well, yeah, there's going to be the tribulation. And then there's going to be the millennial reign of Jesus Christ for a thousand years. And then we talked about that ages of the ages where all things become one in Christ, whatever that means. And, and, and I subscribed to seven of them, but by the time we were done, I got him to subscribe to nine. <laughs> I said, man, you're not only a dispensationalist, you're a hyper-dispensationalist. Yeah. We're told to rightly divide the word of truth. Hey, here's a good question. How come we're not going to have a healing service tonight? Ever wonder about that? How come, how come we don't profess to have apostolic healing? I don't have time to go into it, but is, is there healing in the Bible? Do we pray for it when somebody's sick? Do we just pray for this brother here? Are we praying for others that have COVID? But why don't we subscribe to the idea that say, Brother Doty, see, I, I, we put him on staff because he had that gift of healing. Now, he refuses to use it on me. I don't know why, but he could just lay hands on you. But is that in the Bible? Did the apostles have that? Well, how come we're not doing it? There must be a reason here. And understanding that reason helps us sort it out. And by the way, all that stuff is coming back again someday. That has to do with the kingdom. It has to do with the kingdom. When the king is here, see, they had those gifts because the king was around. That was proof that Jesus was that king. He was that Messiah. And he's coming back again someday. And man, we've studied the millennium, and I'll tell you what, uh, that ex uh, the millennium, that excites me. The way things are going to be, uh, there's not going to be any political turmoil. Jesus Christ is going to be running the world. He doesn't care about Democrats. He doesn't care what the Republicans have to say. He doesn't care who's woke or who's asleep <laughs> or anything in between. He is going to be a benevolent monarch. And where there's a word of the king, the Bible says, there is power. And he's going to be running the world. Won't that be wonderful? Looking forward to it, folks. If you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, get in on it. By bowing to him in repentance and saying, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. And I need you as my Savior. And believing he died on the cross for your sins, he was buried and rose again the third day on your behalf. And the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Help us to grow in our understanding of it, Lord, that we might profit more and more each day as we read it and as we tell others about a great Savior, about a, a gospel, some good news that they can be saved and have a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand. What number we got, brother? 368.
368. Let's take our hymnals, turn to number, or excuse me? 388. 388? Oh, 388. Okay. 388. I know whom I have believed. 388. wondrous grace to me he hath made known nor why unworthy Christ in love redeemed me for his own but I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed Unto him against that day. I know not how this saving faith to me he hath imparted, nor how believing in his word brought peace within my heart. But I know whom I have believed and am. Persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I know not how the Spirit moves, convincing men of sin, revealing Jesus. Dismiss. God bless you.